Well, if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Before I begin in 1 Peter, before there was a resurrection, there was a good Friday. There was a crucifixion. Jesus was betrayed by Judas and then arrested. He was flogged on Pilate's order. He was beaten with rods by soldiers. He bled from a crown of thorns shoved down on his head. He was mocked. He was spit on. He bore the weight of the cross on bloody shoulders as he made his way to Golgotha. He was laid on that cross and then nailed to that cross. He hung on that cross, bleeding and dying. He suffered horribly when God's wrath was fully poured out on him for our sins. And then he suffered the most when God, his very own father, turned away from him because of the filth of our sin that he bore on our behalf. Mark 15, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And then he breathed his last and died a death that we deserved. This truly was the darkest hour. Now, this was a huge blow, this moment, to every one of his disciples because their friend and their savior hung dead on a cross. And all that he had promised them they thought was no longer going to come to pass. They were frightened and they were confused and they were without hope because he was gone. And as far as they knew, he would never return again. But return he did. We call it Easter. John MacArthur says this. He said, it begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. And in between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called to eternal life. So we live between two Easter's. In the power of the first Easter, we head towards the second Easter. That's the title of my message, Between Two Easter's. Well, Father, we come to you this morning submitting to the authority of your word to open our eyes to your greatness and to your glory and to your goodness and to your faithfulness and to your love towards your creation. And Lord, we submit to the authority of your word that our lives might be more transformed into the image of your son. So Lord, help us we pray this morning that the resurrection of your son helps us to go even deeper into its meaning and its hope and its joy and the eternal security that we will experience because you have called us to yourself. Glorify your name, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke 24, 
But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke 24, 5 and 6, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Luke 24, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now First Peter, a passage that I have repeatedly shared with you over these past year as we studied through first peter it's a passage that has just it has gripped me in a way that no other passage has it's it is really it is the wonderful succinct proclamation of the gospel as peter marvels at what christ has done first peter 1 3 through 5 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ And that ends with an exclamation point. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Fifty years later, when this letter was written, Peter still marvels at Jesus' resurrection because now, more than ever, he knows what it means for every follower of Christ. The heart of this gospel, of his gospel, the gospel that saves sinners, sanctifies believers, and glorifies them when they go home one day to be with the Lord, Peter marvels at this. Peter marvels at this because he knows Christ rose from the dead. And in his greeting, Peter draws our attention back to Jesus' resurrection and what it means to us. The first Easter has come. We've been spiritually resurrected. And now we await the second Easter when the redeemed will rise in Christ. Now, until then, he wants us to marvel not only at Jesus' resurrection, but the effect of the resurrection in order for us to remain firm in our faith in a world that is still dark. Peter writes to this, this fledgling church, the churches in, this, in Asia Minor, he writes to them, reminding them of all that Christ has done, reminding them of the life they have in Christ through the resurrection because they are suffering persecution. They are going through difficult times. And this passage, this book still remains the same. The God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it speaks to us today. It speaks to us with a, with a hope. And so he draws our attention that we might remain firm in our faith. And he does this by showing us what is central to our gospel, the resurrection, what we celebrate today. 
what we what we are what we come here for and we 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 sit out here in in windy weather but beautiful weather we come because we want to be together to celebrate together as God's church this wonderful wonderful truth of the resurrection and in these 3 verses Peter Peter with one word connects God's saving work to our salvation. It's the word through, where he says to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter still marvels at that. He still marvels and and he writes this so that we too would marvel at that resurrection and all that God has done for us in the gospel, but not just once a year that we would marvel tomorrow and the day after and the day after because of the gospel's wonderful impact and effect and transformation upon our lives. And here's what Peter tells us is this connection to the gospel. First, he says he gave us new life. Look at verse 3. He has caused us to be born again. We are born again. Nicodemus, he marveled and struggled with this reality when Jesus told him in John 3, 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is through us being born again that we are now in God's kingdom. And then we see Peter just letting us know God's heart in this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. It is is God's great mercy that you experienced at conversion. And it is God's great mercy that continues to sustain you and sanctify you and encourage you and comfort you when we are living in this world that is dark and often without comfort. It is God's great mercy. And he, in that great mercy, looked down upon a wayward and sinful creation and drew us back to himself that we might be born again, that we might enter into his kingdom. And in Ephesians 4, Paul writes this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God's love for us is revealed in his son coming to earth to suffer and die for our sins. And he raises Jesus from the dead according to his great mercy. And he does the same for us. He will do the same for us. But that's not all. Peter goes on. He says, He has caused us to be born again. God is the one who did this. It wasn't our own merit. It wasn't our own decision. We woke up one morning and said, you know, I'm just tired of living this sinful life. I think I'll be a Christian today. No, God, in his great mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul tells us in Romans 6, we were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Christ's resurrection 
will bring about, first of all, it brought about our spiritual resurrection and his return will bring about our final resurrection, the second Easter. He took the initiative. Luke writes in Acts 13, 34, he appointed us to eternal life. And in Ephesians 1, 4, we see he predestined us before the foundation of the world. God caused us to be born again. That is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He alone has saved us. But not that's not all he does. Look further. To be born again to a living hope. A living hope. Not just any hope. We, brothers and sisters, we have a living hope. That Those words should impact you. They should stun you. A living hope. Peter characterizes Christian hope as a living hope. It comes from the living God. He watched as his friend and Savior died. And for a moment, so did his hope. But Peter's hope did not remain in the grave because Jesus did not remain in the grave. His hope rose again. And Christian hope stands in stark contrast to the empty, frustrating, and deceptive false hopes that this world offers us. Edmund Clowney, in his commentary, said this. He said, Christ's resurrection spells hope for us, not just because he lives, but because by God's great mercy, we live. You're alive today. You're alive today. Yes, as, as, and I know this, as we get older, our bodies feel less alive day in and day out. But it's not this body we're hoping in. It's the resurrected Christ. It's the truth of the gospel that has promised us this living hope. This, this is our gospel. Brothers and sisters, born again by God because of his great mercy to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the first Easter. Jesus rose from the dead that we might be raised from the dead to newness of life. The resurrection Easter isn't just for today because it's the gospel. It's the gospel that should shape our lives. It should shape our circumstances. Every trial and suffering that we face, every joy that we experience, the gospel should shape the way we respond. When sin looks attractive and you feel too weak to resist the gospel, the good news should shape that you are no longer under the power of sin. And when you do sin, you can confess your sin to him because he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you've been betrayed by someone and you want to retaliate, you can look to the Savior who was betrayed and did not utter a word in return. And you can forgive, as we read in Ephesians 4, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. When you're struggling in your marriage and struggling to love, you can look to God's word. You can see in the gospel that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He loved us. And we can love in return. And when your child is turned away from you and from the Lord, 
you can have hope that he alone is the one who causes children, our children, to come to saving faith in him. Not, not us. We're not the Savior as parents. It's God alone. And that's what we hope in. And when you're facing an illness that could very well take your life or debilitate your life, you know, as we read in 2 Corinthians 1, that, that he comforts us through the Holy Spirit. You know that he strengthens us. You know that he sustains us. You know that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Jesus suffered and died and rose again that you might walk in newness of life, friends, no longer enslaved to this world and its false hopes, but alive to Christ, empowered by the Spirit, able to resist temptation, able to resist the devil and flee so that you can live for the glory of God. That's what the first resurrection has done for us. That's what the first Easter is all about. But there's a second Easter. And it's yet to come, but it's coming. A resurrection that we will experience when our Physical bodies are raised to new life at Jesus' second coming. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That Easter will be brought into the fullness of our salvation, and that salvation comes with the amazing promises that Peter describes for us here in verses 4 and 5. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he goes on to say, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God promises us life after death. The inheritance is the believer's share in God's kingdom. We've been born again to an inheritance that is fulfilled in the eternal city of God. It is something that is future for us. It's something that we, we look forward to. It's why we, we love Christ's appearing, that we, we pray and ask him to return. As members of God's family, we are heirs already because we have his spirit. Yet our full possession of our inheritance awaits the future. It's yet to come. And, and Peter uses these three adjectives to describe the full expression of this inheritance. Imperishable. What God has promised you, brothers and sisters, it's imperishable. You will live with him forever. Eternity. Eternity. A place that can never be destroyed or experience decay. It is imperishable. It is, it is imperishable because God is eternal. And then Peter goes on to say it is undefiled. Our inheritance can never be stained by sin or contaminated because it's the very character of Christ. It's where he dwells. And it will always remain free from defilement, from the, like the world we live in, which is defiled. And then my, my favorite part of this, it is unfading. It is unfading. The glory of God never fades. The beauty of God never fades. It will always remain beautiful. Everything in this life over time loses its beauty and grows dim. I, I was shaving the other day and I looked in the mirror 
and I realized I'm old. And then I saw a scar here. I thought, I don't remember when I got that scar. I don't remember where I got that scar. And it was just very clear how faded I was. But not our inheritance and not our Savior and not the eternal promise for us to dwell with God. And we will not fade then. Peter is clear. Our inheritance is death-proof, sin-proof, and time-proof because Jesus is alive. Having never been to heaven, Peter can only tell us what heaven is not like. But when we rise again and when we receive the full inheritance of our salvation, there's no adequate, word, adequate words to describe what we will experience. That is yet to come. And he closes with a stunning promise in verse 5 that affirms the resurrection is real and Jesus is truly alive. Our inheritance is being, Peter writes, kept in heaven for you by God. And he's the one who is guarding you and guarding that inheritance. You can't lose it if it's real. You can't throw it away. He is keeping it. He is guarding it. It's being kept in heaven for you until the second Easter when Christ returns and we rise from the dead. D. Edmund Hebert closed with this. He said, the inheritance is certain because of God's watchful care. It is immune from disasters that often befall an inheritance on earth. It is safely beyond the reach of all destructive forces. Its preservation in heaven indicates that the inheritance is not merely the believer's arrival in heaven, but the fullness of our salvation promised us in Christ. What a glorious gospel we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that we are born again, that you caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of your son from the dead. Lord, you have given us life and we have so much to look forward to. And so, Lord, we just simply ask, we ask this morning that you would strengthen us and help us to remain firm to the end that we might bring glory to your name and hear well done in that final day. In Jesus' name, amen.